Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals. Hello everyone, welcome to this podcast uh, from the ITAM Review, presented in conjunction with Licensed Fortress. Uh, this is our first podcast being, uh, of 2023, uh, yes we're there already. Uh, we're recording this in early January when it's dark and miserable outside. So uh, we're going to talk about some, some 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 brighter things, mainly Oracle's bright red logo <laughs> and other things on this. So so this um, I, I'm joined today by uh, Mike Corey from License Fortress. Hi, Mike. Hey, how you doing? Hi, and also Dean Bolton from uh, from License Fortress. Um, hi, Dean. Hello, all. Uh, those of you who have listened to these uh, podcasts, I think this is our, probably our third or fourth one that we've done with Licensed Fortress. Um, we like to kind of get the guys in to have a chat about all things Oracle, uh, what's coming along, uh, what they've seen in the past year and so on. And so today what we're going to do is touch on uh, the results of a survey that Licensed Fortress ran uh, last year, uh, looking at kind of what the audit landscape is like, um, uh, not just for Oracle, but but in general. Uh, so we're going to touch on a few findings from, from that survey, and we're going to wrap up as well with having a bit of a chat about what we can all expect from Oracle in 2023. So so, so what are the things we should be paying attention to? Um, and so one of the first things that came out of this um, survey uh, that License Fortress did was that um, cloud doesn't really make audit risk go away. Um, which is interesting because I'm sure many of us have, ha have had that conversation whereby, oh, we'll just move it to the cloud and then everything's tracked and we can see our consumption and therefore we shouldn't run into any compliance issues. Um, clearly that isn't the case. And um, uh, many uh, respondents to the survey felt that cloud has actually increased their, their, their audit risk. Um, I'm wondering, first question to you guys, what are the specific issues to pay attention to about, about Oracle in the cloud? Um, I, I think there's a couple things, and, and what jumps to mind first is one, it, you know, the cloud uh, is very flexible, but it also increases complexity from a software asset management perspective, right? Uh, you have, you had a little bit of barrier to entry before, because if you wanted to spin up something new, you know, 20 years ago, you had to order a new system, and it was mm -hmm. hard to lose track of that thing. It was a physical item, right? Yeah. Virtualization came along, made it a little bit easier to spin up some new stuff, gave more flexibility, but also made it more difficult to control things. The cloud has kind of turbocharged that, right? Anybody with a credit card can spin up <laughs> an environment, uh, download some software and cause problems. So yeah. I think I think the big thing around that is, you know, you have a new um, uh, complexity level in there that that is probably an order of magnitude um, more difficult to manage from a software asset management perspective than before. Um, the, the other piece of it is with, uh, with that additional flexibility and complexity, you know, there's all kinds of new licensing metrics that come into play. I mean, with, with Oracle, uh, Azure, Amazon, you have bring your own license, you have license included. Um, you have metrics that are are brand new that don't translate over. They've taken products that exist before and on-prem 
um, and they've mapped them in not clear and transparent ways into some of their SaaS offerings. Um, and so I think those two things really just make it uh, much more difficult um, and complex to, to manage um, all of these different licenses and metrics in the cloud. Yeah, I guess I would just add to that, in the decade that we've been helping companies with license compliance, we've yet to find anybody compliant because the IT staffs are stretched too thin. In fact, a lot of times when they have a software asset management tool, it's not even deployed correctly. So it's giving misinformation. And now we've just added another layer to an IT staff that's already overworked, trying to do more with less. Uh, and so they just can't manage what they already have. And now you add this. And as Dean said, new licensing metrics, you know, new types of licenses, it's just a nightmare for the internal IT staff and the business risk can be astronomic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I know all three of us have come from sort of technical backgrounds. We, we, we've been that person um, installing software and, and, and running up systems based on a, on a request that's come through. And I don't know about you guys, but certainly when I was in a server technician, I wasn't necessarily paying too much attention to licensing. I didn't really understand it. Um, you know, it'd be kind of, oh, yeah, just get this stuff installed quickly. Next, 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 next. And suddenly you've gone and installed a bunch of options that you didn't actually want to use. Um, uh, but hey, they're installed. And yes, Oracle will find that stuff um, if you let them. So yeah, you know, it's, uh, I, I think that's reality. And, and then with cloud, you've got, as you say, there's even less control. I mean, you had uh, with physical servers, you know, you have, obviously have to have a log on to the server. So someone would have given you that those admin rights and so on. Um, that isn't always the case with cloud. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So it talks about how kind of cloud doesn't necessarily reduce audit risk. Um, the, the second point from the survey was really that, um, yeah, audits are still going ahead. You know, we are seeing audit activity um, uh, out there. Um, probably increasing slightly. Would you agree that it's it's increased probably a little bit since the pan, no sort of 2020-2021, where it maybe it dropped off due to the pandemic? Is it is there a bit of stored up demand from publishers? So it's a, a great finding of the survey is that because of the pandemic, the survey surmises that audits have increased. And really it comes down to revenue. Companies got really hurt by the pandemic and are hurting for revenue. And they have to find it and they're turning to their clients, their existing clients as a way to generate easy revenue. And so I always say to people, audits are not about software compliance. Audits are about revenue generation for the vendors. It's, it makes you an easy target for them. And then I go back to that data point that we always talk about. In the decade we've been helping companies, we've yet to find somebody compliant. We've even had customers hit a billion dollars in compliance issues. Can you imagine what that could mean to a business trying to write a yeah. check like that? It, well, it, exactly. I mean, that, that's an existential threat, isn't it? That that that. Yeah. And and we have seen that. We have seen companies are not necessarily on the back of Oracle audits um, cease trading based on, but. but based on software audits, you know, um, I, I can think of a few, a couple of examples of quite large organizations just being, you know, finished by uh, a compliance charge. So, um, yeah. Um, and the, and the other thing that the, the survey says, it's not the small companies are going after, you know, 250 employees and less. It's mm -hmm. the middle size company that 250 to a thousand employees, it seems to be the new sweet spot. 
And I think it really comes down to they have less resources. They have less ability to defend themselves. And then right behind that is the companies, a thousand people or more, where absolutely they know there's easy money to be had. And so as a small company, you're probably going to fall under the radar. But if you've got over 250 employees, uh, that survey shows you have about a 60%, 70% chance of an audit within three years. And I think it goes up to about 80% within five years. Yeah. And most companies, quite a few, had multiple audits. So the vendors clearly see revenue opportunity here. Yeah, and it's likely to be at that, at that sort of size, 250 to 1,000, where you're not going to have great ITAM processes in place. You probably may not have an ITAM tool. Uh, you probably don't even have a, a dedicated ITAM person. It will be someone's someone's job on the side of doing something else, be someone in in infrastructure or someone who orders software keeps a record of these things so um you know we certainly see that from from itam review data as to at what point do you get more than one person doing itam and yeah certainly it's way above 1000 employees itam is like security everybody knows they need security but most companies don't really pay attention to security to the level they should till mm. after the you know the break in happens and then all yep. of a sudden they get religion and they make major investments in security. And I think ITM falls into that bucket to a certain extent, right? We mm. know we need it. We know it's good business practice. We, you know, we preach to people constantly, but the organizations are trying to do more with less, but then they have to pay that big audit bill. And then all of a sudden they realize, well, maybe we need to make an investment here. And then of course they turn to software, which I think is a necessary component to solving the problem. But software doesn't solve the entire problem, right? There's more, a lot more to the, than knowing what you have. It's understanding what the vendor tactics are, understanding what the contract interpretations are, right? Catching the options uh, being turned on that were unlicensed. There's a lot more to just throwing software at the problem. We think it's a very small piece of the problem solution. And I think just to, to follow up on that, is um, AJ right? The the uh, the size you have to have to to be a dedicated ITAM have a dedicated ITAM person is probably above that that thousand mark. Mm. But even then, you have to make sure they're integrated in there because all too often we see these vendors do an audit, and as Mike said, you know, uh, you're in you know, within three years, sixty percent chance, five years, eighty percent chance, so it's coming, right? But then when the audit happens. The, if you have ITAM, they're not connected to the technical team and they handle it separately. So, yep. you know, you get this request from the vendor to go run these scripts or provide this data. You kick it over to the technical team. They go ahead and do it, send the data back. And by then it's too late. The horse has basically left the barn. And now you got a real problem on your hands in terms of how to handle that audit uh, in there. And, and with a lot of the vendors we work with, you know, you're talking about some business critical, mission critical systems. So yeah. it's not like you can just turn them off. If you have a developer tool that you're using and there's an issue with the, the, the vendor, they audit, you might fight with them and ultimately decide we don't need this tool. Not a big deal. There's, there's replacements on there. But if you're talking about something mm -hmm. like an Oracle database, right, which runs your ERP system, uh, it, you can't turn that off or otherwise your business shuts down. And you might be looking at something like, you know, $50 million, uh, in a lot of these cases, that's a, that's a low number uh, to transition to another system. Uh, and so you can very quickly get stuck between a rock and a hard place uh, on a lot of these issues. Yeah, I, I, I certainly recognize that. Um, 
I got my first gig in ITAM off the back of an Oracle audit that had, that had gone horribly wrong uh, uh, for my employer. And it was exactly that, actually. It was a disconnect between the people that were doing license compliance, um, who were very seen as seen as kind of record keepers and clerical and not very senior in, in the organization. And they had no say over the technical teams at all. So they had no real mandate to go out there and say, look, guys, you need to make changes here. Um, and that ended up costing them seven figures. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, the, the approach was, well, we need to do this properly. Um, so, yeah, um, kind of a small number compared to many Oracle audits, but um, actually we weren't a strategic Oracle user, which was even worse in, in a way, you know, it wasn't business critical, but we ended up paying that money. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, in some ways we, you're paying for software that you're not really using. Uh, which is even worse. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, you, you, you mentioned those figures as well around, um, you know, how expensive these audits can be. And that's, I know it's another finding from the survey is that Oracle audits are among the most expensive to, to, to navigate. I'm, wonder, I'm wondering why that is and maybe how we can approach reducing those, particularly the hidden costs of kind of running the audit internally and having the right people and so on. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things why Oracle audits are so expensive is just the, the price tag uh, on a lot of the products, right? Yeah. And that's true for, for Oracle and a lot of the other vendors. Microsoft has expensive products, IBM, SAP, VMware, they all have expensive products because they put billions of dollars into the research part of it. So yeah. um, I think that part of it is, is uh, you know, justified from the vendors and, and rightfully so. The, the problem becomes when as a customer, you don't know what you're really paying and, and you don't have an idea of how to value that investment. Um, I like the analogy of you're going to a uh, an auto dealer and you're buying a car and they're not giving you the bill until three years later. It's an impossible way to, to do business. It's an impossible way to buy a car, um, but that's what happens uh, very often. Um, and so, you know, we talk about this all the time. Um, the, the landscape is changing. It's very dynamic. Uh, if you have a, uh, a large ITAM staff um, that can handle a lot of these different vendors, I think you can manage it, but you're talking about kind of some of the largest companies out there to do that. Otherwise, you kind of really do need to have uh, outside experts who are paying attention to this on a daily basis, um, keeping abreast of all the different changes um, that happen, keeping abreast of uh, the technical changes that come in. I mean, we've seen a lot of a lot of things um, over the years um, that would make customers' decisions different than when they first made the investment. Uh, a simple example is, you know, we had a customer who's been with Oracle for 15 years. Um, and when they first started with them, um, they went Enterprise Edition just for the partitioning feature. Uh, well, they had 15 years of performance improvements in there. Uh, and so they were able to actually make a change in there. They didn't need uh, partitioning because of hardware updates. Um, mm -hmm. And so they were able to take a step back, uh, reevaluate that downgrade to the standard edition uh, and save themselves quite a bit of money. And, and it's those type of things that, that you always have to be uh, uh, on top of. It's really tough to kind of keep on top of that while you're doing your day-to-day -day IT, uh, IT actions and operations. Yep. Um, and sometimes you just need to, whether it's with an external consultant or not, just take a step back uh, and look at kind of the forest um, from a high level. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm wondering, um, this is something I encountered, not actually for an Oracle audit, for, but for something else, was 
how should an internal team go about convincing their management that they need to get somebody you no know, an expert in to help with this um just just wondering here you know i i had some difficult conversations around this because mm-hmm. my cio thought it was my job to, to 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 manage a really big audit um whereas i was very aware that i didn't have all the necessary detailed knowledge and skills to yep. navigate this alone um mm-hmm. No, but, but obviously bringing bringing an external team in there's an additional cost there. Yep. How do you go about how would you go about um, convincing management to to sort of onboard an external expert? Um, I think the 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 number one thing I would say, um, and the biggest part of it is the legal expertise that's required now. Um, I think for a long time uh, there was a lot of focus on the technical part of uh, of audits. Um, in there, especially from vendors like Oracle. And, um, you know, obviously when it's that, that piece of it, I think management takes a look and says, we have a technical team. How come you guys can't handle this audit? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, what we've seen, uh, over the past three to five years now is a focus on the non-technical piece of audits. Um, you know, if you've had mergers and acquisitions, um, the terms and conditions around your licensing uh, in there, the geographic restrictions, the limitations on usage in there. Uh, you know, is it part of your cloud uh, agreement? Uh, has there been a, a consolidation or a product change in there? Um, and just those pieces are so um, specialized that that I think that would be kind of my number one point in there is bring in. Uh, outside experts that have the legal expertise um, to, to interpret these contracts. Uh, they've done it on a regular basis uh, in there and can really um, bring that because it just becomes such a critical part uh, of audit defense um, and these engagements going forward. Yeah, I, I guess I'd even add to that. Customers think they have Oracle full use licenses and that means they can use it for anything. Well, that's not the interpretation that Oracle takes on it. And so they're quite shocked when all of a sudden Oracle starts questioning the license type. Well, where did they deploy that license? Or the fact that the contract didn't really spell out they had a right to use it outside the US or outside the UK. And so it's really these contractual technicalities, as he said, that are becoming more and more focused by the vendor um, during the audit. And really the in-house staff is at a huge disadvantage. They can have a legal staff. They can be excellent, but these contracts are purposely convoluted. They're confusing. There's lack of clarity. And unless you're a law firm that's dealing with it day in and day out, frankly, you're at a huge disadvantage. We find it interesting when the, when big companies have internal lawyers and they talk to our lawyers, and they get a big sigh of relief because they realized, wow, they were really outside their level of expertise. Thank God we now have lawyers we can talk to who can explain to us at our level why this is a a, a treacherous uh, path we're potentially going down. Right, so it's that kind of technical complexity alongside the contractual legal complexity and an in-house legal team isn't necessarily going to see enough of these contracts um, you know to, to to have the expertise in house to be able to, to be able to do this so um I, I guess that's kind of kind of sort of the the issue there is that um in-house legal is obviously quite quite good at dealing with certain things which mm-hmm. is kind of contract law business law but yeah. more specifically software licenses are a whole different level of of um 
of agreement. And, I mean, of course, as well, these are relatively new things, right? I mean, those standard business contracts have been around for decades, whereas software contracts are still relatively new in the legal world. Yep, and, and they're they're constantly changing. Yeah. So I, I think that piece of it is is 100% true. Right? The, the, the contractual piece of it is becoming very, very important. Um, but I don't want to overstate it in there. The technical piece is still still critical in there too, right? And being able to not just um, uh, get the audit done, but to get it done successfully and have a strategy in place on it, on the technical side, being able to review um, answers uh, before they're provided to the vendor, I think is still um, critically important in the, there. And, and we've seen it many, many times. We've been brought in at every phase uh, of a customer audit um, and and being able to come in and help on the the uh, front end of it and review all of the technical answers and and setups and details before um, they're provided to the vendor just can make a, a huge amount of difference in terms of what the outcome of any of those audits are. So so think about this: most large companies have an independent audit of their financials every year. Mm. It's frankly a sound business practice, and they do that to mitigate business risk. Why wouldn't you want, in, if you don't have a software asset management strategy in place, you don't have software in place, you don't have a team in place, wouldn't you at least once want to have somebody look under the covers to see if there is a business risk there? Now, I can tell you statistically, you have a problem. I don't know if it's a million-dollar problem or a $500 million problem. So to me, at a minimum, they should at least do a one-time look under the covers. But here's the real leverage point. If we come in proactively, you're not under a vendor audit, and we find problems, we work with you to resolve those problems legally. When the vendor audits you two years later, you're under no obligation to say, oh, by the way, I accidentally ran Oracle on this giant cluster um, for uh, six months. And uh, by the way, I owe you $5 million. You're under no obligation. You merely are under an obligation to answer the questions and say, where is Oracle installed and or running now? Yeah. And that goes from most major vendors. Yeah. That's, that's a really great point about having this external validation and tying that in with how finance operate. Because, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it's kind of legally mandated in many cases. And, um, and, and finance don't trust their own adding up, right? I mean, they, they, they want to have that external audit to to validate what they're doing. And um, now we're talking orders of magnitude here in terms of millions of dollars and uh, euros and pounds and everything else out there. Um, why would you, why wouldn't you want to get that validated before you commit to an agreement with Oracle? You know, I, I mean, surely you should do due diligence on that and 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 have that external validation from experts of, of whether you're, whether you're right, you know? Um, yeah, that, that that's, that's the whole point of a financial audit. So why not apply that to a software? I mean, AJ, even even in addition to that, though, in a financial audit, you're basically just making sure that that everything adds up, right? Yeah. And so the end result of it is, hey, everybody input the numbers correctly, right? Mm -hmm. the The nice thing about um, the IT asset management audit is that while well, compliance is still the the lion's share of what we're worried about because of the dollar figures involved. There can be significant cost savings by that uh, by that uh, that external audit in there. You know, a lot of customers have uh, shelfware 
um, that they're still paying for that they don't need. As you said before, with that example, um, you had a company that was, uh, you were working at a company that had Oracle that didn't really need it. Um, and, and with the way a lot of these vendors do their licensing with, you know, support costs being 20, 22, 25% of the license costs due each year, um, you can get some significant savings um, by taking a look at that and really aligning um, your license with your usage. I mean, we've had customers where we come in, um, take a look at it, and we have identified it 50% of their spend uh, is for shelfware and able to save them that immediately on their next renewal. Uh, and we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars um, just by doing that review and having a, a step back and working to optimize um, what you've purchased and what you're using. Yeah, but the I, other I, thing I, is you, you have to have an ongoing relationship. So Oracle, Microsoft, these are quality vendors. They're probably, they, you know, they try to be pretty above board of what they're doing overall. But you have another class of vendors. These are not small companies where they're going in and they're taking the downloaded contracts and they're changing terms and the DBAs installing the software, not thinking about it. And then a year or two later, they're auditing them knowing that they've changed the terms of the MSA unbeknownst to the client and have created a compliance gap. And so yeah. you want to have this ongoing relationship so that as you're making purchases, am I getting the right discount? I'm surprised how many customers don't realize they're not really not getting an appropriate discount for the size of the purchase. Is there a change in the agreement that could have impacts to my previous purchases? And so we really, you want that ongoing relationship to make sure that you, that you know what you're purchasing, you know you're paying the right price for it, and you know that the terms aren't changing in a manner that could affect other things that you previously purchased. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, I wanted to wrap up um, today, just really kind of looking ahead a little bit to what's coming this year um, from Oracle and, and indeed from others, but, but primarily from Oracle. What should we be paying attention to this year? I mean, I, the first thing I was going to bring up was, should we be expecting further price rises given, given sort of where the global economy is going? Are, are we seeing that already? Um, well, in some sense, yeah. So, I mean, Oracle's um, made changes so that they can increase the price um, with what they're calling a country adjustment, but basically mm -hmm. an inflation adjustment from what used to be 4% uh, uh, was the cap, and now it's 8%. Um, and, and we've seen those start to come into play uh, now. So I, I think those are are, are definitely out there and, and a concern that that um, I think across all industries, but including the software, um, that this is an opportunity to uh, change your pricing and vendors um, are, are definitely doing that. Yeah, yeah. So, so that, that's, that's the, the global inflation rate adjustment that goes on to maintenance contracts every year it, yes. they've, they've just yeah. sort of moved the cap up a little bit from mm -hmm. from four to eight percent which which is you know a significant increase um for your budget particularly for um uh you know if you've been paying that support fee for a number of years to oracle then you've kind of known where it was going to be and, and now you may be in for a surprise i guess so yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah i also think that these are publicly traded companies the majority of them right mm -hmm they have shareholders and they have to show that revenue is increasing. And when you're in a recession or you're in a bad economy, you're not going to get that revenue in the traditional means. As an existing customer, once again, you're becoming an easy target 
through a software audit. And so you're going to see them building up their auditing team capabilities. You're going to see more outsourcing to maybe some of the big accounting firms to come in and do more audits because there's a direct correlation to more audits equates to more revenue. And I yeah. think that's exactly why you're seeing the shift towards those companies with 250 to under 1,000 employees. They're targeting them more frequently because they're building up these auditing capabilities. Yeah, and, and there's likely that, that size organization may be making job cuts. Uh, so they've got they've got even less capacity to, 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 to deal with this stuff. So they're a very they're a very easy target. And yeah, I mean, certainly the ITAM review has been around long enough to have seen the last recession. Um, and with there was a significant uptick in audits in 09, 2009, yep. 2010, 2011. Um, which coincided with revenues dropping. Yeah, you know, for, mm -hmm. for, uh, you know, Oracle went into negative revenue growth for, for, for a few quarters around that time. And um, yet, yeah, lo and behold, um, audits were a way of getting out of that. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. It, it, in a recession, expect audits, I think, is, 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 is the key takeaway here. Um, should we be looking for anything around Java um, this year? Yeah, I, I think so. So one one of the things that we're definitely looking at right now is um, so Oracle started auditing for Java. Um, I think there's going to be an uptick in that, that more customers are going to get uh, formal Java notices or Java reviewed as part of uh, their other um, audits around database middleware uh, applications uh, in there. So I definitely expect to see an uptick in that. What we're wondering, though, is um, if there's going to be a technical component for that Java uh, um, um, audit in there. Um, we've heard rumblings uh, that Oracle is working on a uh, basically scripts or a tool um, mm -hmm. to track Java usage within a, uh, a customer. Um, we haven't seen that yet, uh, but it does follow their standard pattern of uh, how they do um, audits for new products. So we expect that to be coming around. I think um, 2023 is probably about the time when when they'll start doing that. So so I think those are something that, that we're expecting and waiting to see um, later this year. We're also seeing specifically around Java, but we're seeing it elsewhere, we call the soft audit, where they just reach out to you and start asking questions. And customers don't realize that in a traditional audit, right? All the alarm bells go off. I'm being audited. Okay. Wh what do I do? I you know, limit communication to the vendor. Uh, I stop all purchases, right? Because you're preparing for to defend yourself. In a soft audit, customers are just answering these questions and not realizing that the wrong answer could clearly either trigger an audit or become a very expensive bill. And so these innocent questions are not innocent right? They're really getting you to, you know, lower your defense systems. And that's an absolute mistake. Yep. When the vendor starts asking questions specifically on how you're deploying this software and your licensing, you should treat that like an audit so you're not caught. Yeah. Which, which, I mean, I guess with Java in particular, that's, that's a typical sales approach because they'll be talking to you about potentially moving things to, to Oracle Cloud to, to sort of mitigate sort of Java license requirements um I, I know that's pretty much top level strategy um uh, for oracle it was mentioned in in a recent earnings call that they see oci as a way of oracle cloud infrastructure as a way of kind of mitigating java java exposure so yeah you, you could easily have that sales conversation and suddenly you, you you're on the hook right yeah yep. 
Uh, I think the kind of related to that, one other thing that we're looking at and kind of monitoring is um, this, this kind of new linking of sales and um, audits or software compliance that we've seen over the past couple of years. Um, it, it used to be, in, and for a lot of vendors, you could still go and buy their products from the vendor directly or a reseller. Um, and you basically just you know, do the, the natural order, right? You're like, mm -hmm. I like this product. I need 10 of them. Give me a, a quote for it and I'll go purchase it. Um, but we've seen uh, in recent years, especially around Oracle Java, where um, they bring in uh, that, that audit group to, for sign-off before they even create uh, a quote for customers. Um, and they're making it much more difficult. As, as Mike said, kind of in the soft audit, they're asking questions um, and then they're, they're using um, the answers and sometimes saying, well, we don't like that answer, so we're not going to let you buy the product uh, in there. And we're definitely tracking that and seeing if that expands out to uh, other groups, other vendors, and, and just watching how the vendors use that balancing act um, of uh, doing that to drive bigger deals versus hamstringing their, their normal process and normal sales. Well, I, I think it's probably time to wrap up on this. Um, thank you, Mike. Thank you, Dean, for uh, your insights as always. It's, it's always interesting talking to you because you get to see this kind of stuff day in, day out with, with, with Oracle. Um, plenty to be thinking about there for 2023 and beyond around Java and, and sort of different sales tactics and so on. And yeah, I, I really like the point that we made going back into the survey around this idea of, of bringing in that expertise as you would do in a financial audit um, and also bringing in that of course that technical expertise uh, when you're making perhaps quite complex technical changes so thank you both thank you thank you